Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. And this is Terry. And it's episode number 93, week four of our six weeks of small screen. Terry, we're going to the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. To see how it all shook out. And we are going to check out the series finale of the inimitable Game of Thrones. What a great show. What a cool oh, show. fantastic. Great concept. And it was just fun to watch. Yeah, I've, I've, I've already said before, I think Game of Thrones might be my favorite TV show of all time. And this is the wrap-up to that entire series that we're going to talk about tonight. I'm sure we'll touch on at least at least the themes and maybe major characters that have run through the whole series, but there's just no way you can do a series overview in one podcast. It's just not no. possible. No, if we wanted to so go we're gonna, over the whole show, we'd have to do probably at least a dozen podcasts. Right. We can almost do a podcast per episode. Yeah, and I'm sure there are some out there. Yeah, I've seen them. <laughs> so, there you uh, go. But, yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to be primarily focused on the series finale in fact Terry, when i watched this i didn't even go back and watch anything else i just turned on the series finale and watched it as a standalone because that's how i wanted to view it for this purposes of this podcast so that's what i did as well all right well we're gonna we're gonna get to that but first let's get through some of the silly stuff and uh terry this is our 93rd episode yes it is so we're gonna be looking at some 93 year old celebrities yeah are there any yeah, well, there's one who made an appearance last time we recorded on episode number 92, and that's Gene Hackman, who recently had a birthday and is now 93. Ah, good for old Gino. Yeah. Uh, also 93 is Bob Newhart, who's All right. still around. I haven't heard his name in a long time. Buzz Aldrin is yep. 93. Yep, yep. Barry Gordy Jr., one of the uh, architects of Motown back in the 60s okay yeah all right record producer uh entrepreneur tippy hedron who was a uh who was an actress yep and james hong who was also an actor i know james hong from several things yes i can't he what was it because i see his face and i recognize his face and i cannot remember specifically what he was in uh first of all he was in wayne's world too that's right. Yes, he is. Uh, that instant re- notification. But yeah, he plays, he's typecast as usually an Asian crime lord of some sort. <laughs> you know, he's never right. the, the poor, broken Asian guy. He's always some wearing a suit and some big deal. So, Well, I just pulled up, uh, his, clicked on his picture in his little bio. He starred in over 350 productions. I've probably seen at least a couple dozen of them. His most recent one was in 2022 with the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, That's a movie I want to see because I've heard nothing but good things about it. Same showtime, though, and I don't have it. Yeah, so uh, those are 93-year-old celebrities. And so some several others here that were smaller actors and actresses or something like that that I just don't recognize them. Do you recognize the name Hector Lopez? He was a baseball player. Is that somebody that's on yeah. your radar as a baseball huge baseball fan? Negative. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it for the 93-year-old celebrities. Now, here's 
We're going to go to some of the uh, celebrities who were born in 1993. Or 30 or about to turn 30. Yeah, just about. We've got uh, Ariana Grande. Okay. Was born in 93. Uh, Megan Trainer. Yep. Um, Only time I've ever yeah. seen her is on She-Hulk. <laughs> I'm sorry, she was on She-Hulk, wasn't she? Yeah, teaching. Uh, she had a catchy. She had some catchy songs. She's got a really interesting pop sound. It's almost like a throwback to like some of the old doo wop stuff. And yeah. uh, so there's some interesting songs. Um, Zayn Malik, who I'm guessing is in one of the boy bands. Was it One Direction? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Um. Yeah, he was in One Direction. All right. No, I'm wrong about Megan Trainer. I'm thinking of someone else. They she wasn't in. She Hulk. Ignore that comment. I'm stupid. Okay. Well, I I bought into it. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh Victoria Justice from Nickelodeon fame. She Can't was on, I think she was iCarly. You didn't know her oh yeah, you missed you weren't you didn't have nah. that age that were nah. doing the iCarly thing. The rest of these Terry, it's so depressing. They're just all YouTube stars. Let's go with some rappers. athletes then. Yeah, let's switch. Not a lot of athletes. Not a lot of famous athletes born in 93. That's surprising. It is slim pickings. Yeah, Jordan Spieth. Great golfer. Who's a golfer. Um, Anthony Davis from the oh. NBA. He was yeah. the yeah. unibrow. Absolutely. We've got uh, Dak Prescott from the Cowboys. Is his job on the line, do you think? I don't know. I mean... Jerry Jones seems to believe in him, so who knows? And then, like I said, not a lot. Uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist from the NBA, and that's all. And like I said, I'm not a huge NBA fan, so I, there may be players on here that diehards would be like, oh, yeah, you can't believe you left that guy off, but I don't know any of these guys. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, like I said, this is not a great year for athletes. Marcus yeah. Teague, who plays for the Bulls or did play for the Bulls, and that's pretty much it. That's what we're looking at here for our athletes. So not a lot, Terry. What about Amir Abdullah? <laughs> I don't know who Amir Abdullah is. <laughs> he I'm was assuming a run- NBA. Amir Abdullah was a running back for the uh, what you call it, the Lions. Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I must not have just. I must have clicked on a list that didn't have football on, but no, because I didn't see any of those guys. Or I maybe mean, if I did, I, re- I ran past their name because I didn't immediately recognize it. Yeah, it's all good. There really isn't that many more. I just found a couple, is all. Yeah, so uh, that was it for our celebrity corner, our celebrity int- intro. And, uh, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. We're going to have to come up with something new in another seven weeks. So, because we're on episode 93 and we're going to stop at 100 with Celebrity Corner. Yep. Because I don't want to hear about famous people who are less than or younger than 22. Because they're going to be Twitch streamers and YouTubers and uh, TikTok stars. And I just don't care. Yeah. We're not even going to say them. If there's anybody we recognize, we'll say them. And that's it. Right. All right, Terry. Well, uh, let's move on. And we'll go into some rants and raves. Terry, did you have any rants this week? I had two rants. I'm going to let you go back-to-back on those because my rant is going to be tied into my United States of Rob tonight. So other than that, I only have one rant, which I've got a feeling we'll talk about together anyway. All right. My first rant is something I may have posted or put on here before, but it's those people who post stuff on Facebook with no context. 
I believe this is a hot take that you should get put in Facebook jail. <laughs> like when they that they they claim something like, "Oh man, what a, what a I can't believe this just happened," and then just leave it, and that's it. Oh yeah, yeah. They're fishing for people to be like, "What is it? What?" No, gone, right. gone for a week. Come back when <laughs> yeah, you learn how to I, how to post. I, I like that rule. Oh my gosh, it's so annoying. Just attention seekers that. Yes, get out of here. And it's it's attention seeking on another level because not only are you just putting something out there that probably could be considered, you know, you know, you know, private, you know, or too much information to put out there, like people putting their drama on there. Mm-hmm. But to put it like that, where you are, you're right. They're just begging for someone to ask them what's wrong. Uh, they are just looking for somebody to to you know. I don't know, pat them on the back. I guess the word I want to use is such a big word, but these people, a lot of these Facebook drama queens or kings have these almost like sycophants Mm -hmm. that follow them that are on their friends list that anytime they say, oh, you're the greatest and and you don't deserve that and and blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there's there's been some recently where it's just very frustrating and a friend of mine from back in the day does this crap and... I unfollowed him a long time ago, but I, uh, my other friends like to screenshot it and send it to me. And be like, hey, look what he posted today, and I'm just like, hey, <sighs> I, I just got got angry. I'm like, he's one one post away, even though I don't see his everyday posts. He's I think he's one post away from me going on there and just being like, I can't stand people who do this, <laughs> and, then and just tag. calling them out and just just really just cut them down. And I I, I have to really hold back, but. Oh, that can go away, please quickly. All right, I, 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 I would, uh, I would second the motion for that resolution to be passed. <laughs> All right, my next rant. This is going to be a surprising one. Scientists have created a liquid metal robot that is being likened to the T one thousand. Oh they, God! They melted down a robot in a tiny little cage. And once the robot melted down and escaped from the cage, it returned back to its form. And all I got to think is, didn't they learn their lesson from Terminator 2? This leads to nothing good. Nothing. Nothing good. Terry, we've talked about this. You guys, kind of, you and Sarah kind of laughed at me when I complained about the five robots on Mars and what we're mm-hmm. doing. This is along those same lines. Yeah. Do you remember in the original Jurassic Park when... Uh, what uh, well, the the mathematician? What was his name? I can't think of his name. Ian now. Malcolm. Ian Malcolm. He sat there said you 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 figured out you know that you could do it, but you never stopped to ask if you should. Exactly. And so I use that. That's often. the same thing. <laughs> this is definitely in that category for sure. Apparently, they use some sort of electromagnetism that it's a very low melting point metal that they the magnetism by itself will melt it down. And then once it gets out, they, I don't know, freeze it or whatever it does to pop it back into shape. And there's a little video of it. It's not a great video, but I'm just like, oh, man. I do have lots of questions because wouldn't you have to have, like, circuits and things like that to, to, for the, to think? How does that survive the melting process? I, I don't know. I don't know. They, but they've figured it out. This thing's uh, less than half an inch. Uh, this little tiny robot that they okay. built melted down. So it's it's a really it's like a like three or four drops of metal is what it looks like. Okay, 
when it when it falls out of that little, little tiny cage it's in. Almost looks like a little nope. Lego guy. Nope, 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 nope. We don't yeah. need any of that. So yes, that is. I mean, you've probably seen the video of the uh, robotic dogs moving in unison, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's scary enough. Yeah. Especially after watching, having watched that one episode of Black Mirror. I was good, just getting ready to say that. That was freaky. So, yeah, I don't like that at all. I think humanity is, uh, and you combine all this stuff with AI, and I'm telling you, we are the we are in the first chapter of the science fiction novel right now. I think so. It's about to go down. Yeah. They get better have the tightest reins possible on AI. They there's so many people have written about it in different forms, and it always ends the same. Yep. They outsmart us. They take over. They, yeah, they ruin our lives. Yeah. Don't like hearing that. Yeah. I uh, do not like hearing that at all. All right. Well, let's move on because now I'm gonna have nightmares. About nah. little bitty robots melting and coming back to life. Yep. Jeez. And let's move on to some raves. Uh, Terry, we share a rave. Absolutely, we do. This is fantastic rave for the week. Uh, last week, both Terry and I, our children, qualified by winning their or within the last two weeks they qualified by winning their classroom spelling bee to move on to face the rest of their school and both dante and ruby have become school spelling bee champions unbelievable i when i i saw that yesterday when crystal posted that picture of dante and i was grinning ear to ear and i was like just like oh my god i'm like I'm, i was at bowling and i slid the phone over to garrett i'm like look dude that's rob's son look at he won his school <laughs> dude you believe that man i can't you believe that i was like so like i was giddy i was so excited that's awesome that robertson blood must have some good spelling genes in it man apparently because yeah what the heck and uh yeah ruby man Last week was hers was a week ago today that she did it, and man, she was really excited to be a part of it, so she studied all the words that she possibly could, and we went over them at least like maybe hour, hour and a half or two each night up to it, and even that morning went over some one more time, and I was like, dang, she, she knows these words pretty good. I think, I told Sarah, I'm like, I think she's got a shot at this. If they stick to all these, this packet of words, we got a shot here. And then they streamed it on YouTube, and we didn't know they were going to stream it until like a half hour before it started. So thank goodness I was oh, off. Wow. That, I was off that day, which was just perfect. And I swear, dude, it was as if we were both rooting for our team in the Super Bowl because <laughs> I'm on the edge of the recliners, Sarah's sitting up on the couch, like, and oh my gosh, it was nerve wracking too because she got to like round fifteen. And to that at that point, it was just her and an eighth grade girl, and Ruby's in oh, fourth wow. fourth grade. Just her and an eighth grade eighth grade girl. They proceeded to go for like twenty four more rounds or something like that. Just the wow. two of them, and Ruby misspelled three words, but the other girl either a missed it, or she missed, or Ruby misspelled it after she had missed it already, okay. and then the third time she missed one. She misspelled it, and the other girl got it right. So she was really just like, oh, my gosh, I got this far, and almost I'm going to lose now. But in Spelling Bee Rules, 
you have to spell the next word correctly too, which that girl did not. Ruby did. And then she had her championship word of sack butts, which... (laughs) I I, I, I quizzed Dante with that word because I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Sack butts. And yeah, of course I had to look it up. It's a Renaissance era trombone. Right. I had to look it up too. Right. But that was our winning word after miscellaneous, which is a long, complex word, sack butts. (laughs) And you can hear in the video... The audio, you can hear the other kids chuckling when they heard that word. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course they did. So what was, yeah, Dante, is... what was Dante's winning word? Oh, you're not going to believe this, Terry. Um, I think it's because it was a kind of a trick word because it's got – it was a proper noun. We we talked about this before. Yeah, we had several proper nouns. I think Zimbabwe was one of them that she had to do and something else. Dante won on Chicago. No kidding. I don't remember Chicago being in there. Maybe it was on the lower. Yeah, he won on Chicago because the other kid forgot to capitalize it. Now, see, that's funny you say that because Ruby was really good about saying capital this, capital that, or hyphen this, but they didn't care at our school. Oh, they didn't? Other kids weren't doing it, and they were fine. So, yeah, Dante, got he had spelled some harder words, but when it came around to the – it was him and one of his best friends at school were the last two standing. That's got to be cool, man. Yeah, hard feelings. So I he, hope. No, I, but you know Dante. He's kind of he's really soft hearted. So I think he was like yeah. he probably felt a little bit bad for his buddy. But probably. Uh, but yeah, so Chicago was the word that got him through. Which hey. I was like, well, man, if you miss that one, you're out of the family. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that a boy. I am so proud of both of them. That is absolutely the greatest. I mean, it's so fun. Do you do you remember doing a spelling bee when you were a kid? I I thought about it, but you know I went to private school, and so right. for most of my grade school. Uh, so I didn't get to – it wasn't the same kind of experience. We didn't have spelling bees. But I remember there being like maybe spelling contests in class or just like – I can't remember if maybe just, you know, you just had to spell. But I don't remember doing an actual like official spelling bee. Yeah. the uh, I remember being in fifth grade, and I think I made it again in like seventh grade to the full school one. And okay. fifth grade I got down to the final five, and I lost out. And I'll never forget it was the word conqueror, which – to me now, I can spell it forwards and backwards because it kicked me out of the B. I spelled it e- <laughs> E-R at the end instead of O-R. Never forget it. Oh, no. I don't even remember the seventh grade word. I just remember it was all a screwed up word that I'd never heard of before and probably have never used since. Terry, I consider myself to be a very well-read man. And I have a very, what I consider to be a a fairly extensive vocabulary. But I was looking through this sheet of words and especially the ones that are like the uh, the la- like the nationals level words, and I don't recognize half of those words at least, probably more. And you're you're a wordsmith. I I'm more like right. around eighty percent. I download the app and I'm going through the words and I'm, I'm quizzing myself because I feel like I need this now. Now that I feel how stupid I am, and I'm like, right. okay. And then I came. They it said crokinole, and I'm like, hey. I know what crokinole is. It's a game. It's a tabletop game. So I was like, C-R-O-K-I-N-O-L-E, crokinole. And I was like, yes, I got that right. Take me to nationals. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, there was words on there that I could not believe they were putting on there as words. I wish I had pulled the list up because there was a couple of my little kids. I said, that's not a real word. She's like, well, if it's on the list, it's a real word. You who? And, you know, Yeah. I'm like, how is that a real and lolling, you know? And so like the, uh, 
Uh, well, no, I guess that is a word. I'm, I didn't think about it for a second. But there were several on there. And I'm like, that's that's a little ridiculous. Proper nouns being used as regular words. Don't like you it. Know. Yeah. So anyway, very, very puffed up dad chest going on right now. Oh, gosh. And uh, we were very yelling, proud of him. Yelling at the TV, too, dude. We were like, yeah, like screaming, <laughs> hugging each other. And Ruby's not even there. She had a club after school, so we had to wait two extra hours to even see her. Yep. I didn't get to go because I, because uh, we had the baby. So one of us, we we kind of had to decide who was going to get to go up to. So Crystal actually got to sit there oh, in, in school and watch it. That's so cool. So, yeah, ours was yeah. streamed live stream to the, all the classrooms and on YouTube. Okay. So when Ruby walked out of there, there's all these eighth graders high fiving her and asking her for her autograph and stuff. And <laughs> she was <laughs> that's cool. They were they were giving her the royal treatment. They were being really cool with her, and that made her feel so now really good. I'm not sure because Kiwani's of a certain size. Once you uh, win the school spelling bee, that sends you straight to regionals. Yeah. So regionals are on February 25th yeah. in Rock Island. And so now does Ruby have to go through another competition before then? Yes. She has to do an online test. She has to go. Yes. She has to do a 50 question test where it's 25 words and 25 vocabulary words. So she has to spell 25 words and answer 25 vocabulary words from and only half of them are going to be from that book or from the app. And oh, really? the other half are just going to be random words. So she's studying them. Is. She's studying them, but I mean, it's going to be yeah. tough because looking at the book, you can't hear it. But uh, looking at the app, it'll say it out loud and give you the definition, origin, w- okay. used in a sentence, and all that. But there's so many words. <laughs> there's like four thousand yeah. words. So well, she- I wonder why they're making her take a test. Is that in lieu of like a city? I competition don't, or? I don't I don't know we got emails and stuff saying she's got to do a test and we'll see maybe that's something that's still coming it was uh you know this was just yesterday that it happens or no, no yeah it was yesterday the day before anyway so uh but yeah I don't know I I we haven't heard anything about that but uh we'll find out I guess yeah, uh, we're going to look more into it next week, but it says it's got to be taken between February 10th and the 17th, somewhere in there. And I think it's, you got your own thing and you got like 40 minutes to do it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, congratulations to the kiddos and, of course, to their clearly superior genetic makeup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to some more raves. Terry, did you watch the Royal Rumble? I did watch the Royal Rumble, and that I enjoyed it. It was great. It was good. Uh, my my favorite part, and I think Sarah's too, is watching Gunther. Gunther yeah. just would not go down, and that dude. I mean, he was still as he was physical throughout the entire match. Usually, when they right. have a guy start the Rumble and go that far, they usually have him take a break and like lay on the ground or something and preserve his energy. That dude was battling the entire time, and I was like. Gosh, that takes some physical conditioning, and he is a, a machine. He, he's going to be a star, that's for sure. Uh, I was I was surprised to see the men's rumble up first on the show. Yeah, um, because typically, I mean, you know, there's been some uh, some more equality as terms as men and women here lately, but I never would have expected the men's rumble to lead off. Now, 
once you get to the end of the show, you realize why it was like that because it's a great opener for the show. Yeah. And there was a lot of excitement. Like you said, great performance by, by Gunther. You had Lesnar coming back. You had uh, he didn't you know, Booker last long T. Either. <laughs> no, you had Booker T coming back. You had uh, Edge coming back. Yes. Edge, Booker T course, doing the Spinner Rooney was great. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many more Spinner Rooney's he's got left in him. He's got to be in his mid 50s. He's in his mid 50s, something like that. And yeah, he's still doing yeah, them. Yeah. So uh, the rumor is, is he found out. Um, that night that he was going to be a contestant. Yeah, fun. He was going to be entered in the Rumble. So uh, he obviously is keeping himself in good shape. And then, of course, we had uh, number 30 was Cody Rhodes. Yeah. And uh, I, you I called it. Yep. I did. I, when I, I actually listened to that other podcast here again recently, the one we did, where I did predict that he was going to win. And I said, oh, man, I hope they don't put him in at 30 because then it's just obvious. I think that they may have wanted – Another surprise, and when that didn't come through, you know, Cody's the best option. I think Cody, and maybe he's not fully healed enough to put in a 30-minute Rumble match, um, but I I still, you know, obviously now he's going to be taking on Reigns in WrestleMania, one of the nights. I still think they could pull a swerve and have Reigns go against uh, Sami Zayn on the other night. We'll talk a little bit about the ending of the Rumble once we get there, but I also want to comment on the Women's Rumble. This is the best Women's Rumble I've seen. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. There was a there was a lot of good spots in that one. Uh, I love the finishing spot with Rhea Ripley, Asuka, and Liv Morgan. That was just a great. That's a great wrestling spot. That's a great way to end a a rumble match with the really holy cow finish. Like you know, Liv Morgan was probably walking a little tenderly after on the way back after that landing she hit on the floor because she landed flat and she landed hard. Mm. Yeah, they were 1-2 going into it, so they finished 1-2. Asuka blowing that miss, then getting eliminated, then, yeah. Liv Morgan almost took her out, and then she, then Rhea Ripley finished her off. I like Liv Morgan. I think she's I think she's a, you know, interesting personality. She's got a great look. You know, she's just, I think she does well. She just doesn't do the mic very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so hopefully she can improve that. But obviously WWE still got a lot of... Uh, a lot of faith in her. They're, they're, they clearly think that she's still somebody that can be a big part of what they're doing. So, yeah. And Rhea Ripley, she's kind of a made woman right now. Yeah, she is tall. She's strong. And, yeah, she was fun to watch. I mean, she did, had some great spots in that match. It, it was a good good show. And they didn't have a lot. They didn't lean heavy on the uh, bringing back old names the whole time, which right. was fantastic because, like, it's great to have one or two pop in like the men's did with Booker T. But that one rumble, they brought, like, ten people back. I was like, geez, right. guys, you guys aren't even <laughs> giving anybody, anybody new a chance. Right. Uh, well, I think still one of my favorite um, old-timers coming back was several years ago. When the boogeyman came yeah. back in the rumble, and uh, that was because Zeke was actually just obsessed with that guy, you know, like he's so spooky, and he he thought he was scary and everything else. So, oh yeah, he's freaky, uh, yeah. But and then we get to the main event. Oh, um, let, before we get to that, I got one more thing in that men's rumble we got to talk about. Okay, Jake Paul or Lo- Logan Paul, excuse me. Oh, Logan. that spot, Logan oh, Paul and. Yeah, they were doing no, it that. Was Jake Paul. It was Jake. Jake Paul. Paul. I always get them mixed up. Uh, yeah, so do I. But they had that spot there, and I'm. I saw Ricochet on one side, and I looked over at Sarah. I'm like, 
you know Ricochet, that dude can fly. I wonder if they're going to have him go off top rope and kick, uh, kick kick Paul out of the ring and, when, and eliminate him. But then, no, they looked at each other, and they both simultaneously, perfectly timed, jump from yeah. top rope and collide in midair, which was by far the best spot of that rumble. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the best rumble spots I've seen in a while because that was just, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. How did they pull that off? That looked dangerous. <laughs> it did look safe. Another thing no. about that rumble was Kofi Kingston, who usually does this miraculous uh, – not getting eliminated and he got launched into a chair and he did not look like he hit that right and he looked like he was hurt <laughs> like legit yeah. hurt i didn't look into it afterwards but it didn't look good they didn't comment on it at all after it happened They're no. like, okay it's so let's move on back yeah, on to this clearly a botch yeah and uh no you were right i can't believe i overlooked that that ricochet jake paul that was uh that was something to see that was one of those maybe like whoa say out loud you know because i'm <laughs> yeah which is what you know, you got to be careful who you watch wrestling with because people who aren't wrestling fans will make fun of you for getting that heavily invested in it. But at the same time, those are two real athletes that just jumped across the ring, collided in midair, and fell to a mat and uh, and didn't kill themselves doing it. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> well, then let's move on to the, uh, to the main event. And, of course, this was a phenomenal main event. Uh, the match was good. Lots of good storytelling. Lots of, uh, you know, Kevin Owens is just a great performer. I love the fact, I loved it from the beginning when he Reigns is making his entrance and they show Kevin Owens, he's just sitting on the top turnbuckle just staring him down, just like, you know, not going to be intimidated, not going to be caught too caught up. And, and Owens is, he's a good wrestler. He's yeah. a very good wrestler. Yeah, he's old stone cold in that way where he just, <laughs> just sits there yeah, and waits. He's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> nothing phases him. And, um, you know, of course, Roman is fantastic in the ring, too. Those guys would be hard for them to have a bad match. They they put on a great big guy wrestling match. They're not going to do, you know, they can't do like the, you know, all the, the, the flying through the air stuff that some of the smaller guys can, but they make them for a believable knockdown drag out wrestling fight. And um, I think everybody in the place knew that Roman wasn't getting pinned in that match. It's just not yeah. going to happen at a Royal Rumble. No. And so, but the, the, the trick then, and one that they pulled off incredibly, is to make the story make up for the fact that you're not going to see Roman's shoulders on the mat for the count of three. And the ending of this match, the way it tied back to all the different twists and turns of this whole bloodline storyline, and specifically with Zayn and his history with Owens, and watching him on the outside selling everything you know, China, you could see he did a very good job of conveying how he was torn between two worlds throughout this whole match. And, of course, Heyman on the outside is just brilliant. Oh, of course. He's just, he, he's just a world-class performer. And uh, then when the beatdown comes at the end and they, they try to put the roses on Sami Zayn and Roman stops him and says, not yet. And then... Uh, and then all of it breaks down and just the way that it played out where he put, you know, Kevin, they, they, the Usos roughed him up, punched him up, then handcuffed him to the top rope and super kick after super kick after super kick after super kick. And he's just basically limp. And then Roman uh, grabs a chair and is getting ready to take him out. And Sami Zayn steps in front and says, no, you, you don't. He's done. He's done. He's had enough. This is beneath you. 
Yeah. And just the best move ever. Roman's like kind of nods and then just, you know, motions to hand the chair to Sam. He says, right, it's beneath me. I want you to do it. And yeah. then this the the conversation between those two in that moment that was coming up that you could hear on the mics where Roman's like, you know, I've given you everything. He's dragging you down. He says, uh, you know, just uh, talking to him like that. He says, when you're in this ring, you can do anything. When you're in this ring with us, you can do anything. Or you can go back and do that jackass stuff, you know, can make, you know, talk about last WrestleMania. Yeah. Because Sami Zayn was in the ring with the, the guys from Jackass, which, quick note aside, at that, after that WrestleMania, I said on our podcast that Sami Zayn was a made man. And now, he, and uh, because of his performance, yeah. Now he's headlining the next show. <laughs> yep. And then you know the chair shot, you know, was just like the chair shot that broke up the shield. Roman Divins even did the he even fell the same way as he did when Rollins hit him with the chair when the shield broke up, and the place just went bananas. Terry, what did you think of this finale? Well, I'll tell you what. They did a good job with the recap before the match because, yeah. considering I haven't been watching, it was it was a good recap. They broke down everything in a good way where you're like, okay, he's on the fence. Could he? What's going to happen tonight? And even with Jey Uso, that little tidbit as well, how he's Sami Zayn, he's cool, he's good, he's all right, right. and backing him up. But then, yeah, when it when it happened, I was just like. Dang. All right. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. Let's see what happens. And he, he I mean, Sami Zayn's surrounded by Roman Reigns, the Usos, and that other dude. I co- Solo Sokoa. Solo. Yeah, that guy. And I was like, that's pretty brave to do when you're surrounded by all these guys with no backup. Right. And then, so. And I love, too, that he turns around and apologizes to Jay immediately. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know, and and then you see the Usos freak out, and then he gets super kicked by Jimmy. And I like too that Jay walked out of the ring yep. and did not participate in the beatdown of Sammy. So now, you know, as well, they've probably figured as we're recording, they've probably figured it out at this point because SmackDown is on tonight. So we're recording on a Friday night this week, and so uh, I'll have to pick up on SmackDown later on and find out what happened to uh, to progress this story, Terry. Cody Rhodes' return, you know, his, his his match at Hell in a Cell with the torn peck, and he won that crowd over, and you could tell that the crowd at Rumble was super into him too. He was, you know, a fan favorite. He's already been on Raw to, to cut a promo saying he's taking on Roman. How does WWE avoid not having Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? That's a WrestleMania match too. Yeah, I, I, would, I would think so as well, and apparently he's getting them at the Elimination Chamber. I saw that too, but I almost want that to be some kind of, you know, a swerve finish because I think the real money is you're talking about WrestleMania. Sami Zayn taking the belt off of Roman Reigns at WrestleMania is going to blow the roof off of that place. Yeah, more so than built up that much goodwill. More than more so than Cody for sure. I think so too. And here's where I think Terry. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he goes both nights. I think Roman does double duty. And uh, I'm not making any predictions yet because obviously there's still two months of story to fill out. But I think that they're probably – that's got to be – I think that's an option they're looking at because both of these stories are fantastic WrestleMania stories. Cody Rhodes, as much for the outside the WWE stuff, you know, just around the story of AEW and everything else. But, you know, just how much the fans are into him, 
You know, you've got the whole Dusty Rhodes legacy. You've got, you know, uh, you got to make a major babyface star. And Roman is a big enough deal now that he could be kingmaker to two separate babyfaces and set both of them up. Yeah. You had the uh, idea of having him go both nights. And that would work, have Sane go one night and uh, Rhodes the next night. Because here's what I think. I think he gets screwed, Zane gets screwed out of it somehow on the first night, and then comes out and keeps Roman from stealing one from Cody Rhodes, and then Cody gets the, a clean pin and becomes a champ. That, I can see that too, definitely. Because, I mean, this is a story that I don't want to see end. I've heard lots of people, I, I'm a huge nerd, and so I've listened to these some of these other wrestling podcasts, and you know I've read the online stuff and there's lots of people saying that this might be one of the best stories wwe's ever told people yeah. put it right up there with uh mega powers with austin mcmahon and that sort of thing and so just because it's been so like nuanced and it's, it's amazing they've really told a slow burning story they've not made any dumb decisions within the story that made it look stupid or, or corny or anything like that. There's been that, you know, humor. Sami Zayn's a fantastic performer, so you know, him being injected into the bloodline probably extended at least, you know, it gives it a lot more run because or up until now, but it did there because it may it avoided becoming stale because you had it in here where he's talking about, you know, being an honorary oose and one night in one of the shows he's like he said, you know, Jay, you just don't look like you're feeling very oozy tonight. And you know, and the crowd just loved it. You know, so and Roman's, you know, a fantastic performer, and and you know, has finally has finally over the last couple of years become the superstar that smart people like myself knew that he was, mm-hmm. and uh, had to put up with a lot of trash talk from from other people yeah. who didn't like him and thought that he wasn't what I thought he was. It, so. it needs to be more natural, and they finally let it be more natural. Yeah, I agree. I I, I understand that that theory absolutely. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm excited to see what happens. I I really think that I like your idea too, where, you know, somehow he doesn't have to actually face Zane the first night and Zane comes up. But then, you know, I think you want to leave Zane set up. But it could be like, well, Hogan helped Macho Man win at WrestleMania four and it didn't affect his baby face status. But No, so what I'm, sure I'm saying Zane. is Zane faces Roman the first night, loses, but gets screwed out of it. And then okay. and then the next night comes in for the rescue. Okay. I got you. I kind of like here's here's if I was fantasy booking this and and I'm not you know I'm not in a position to do that and maybe I, my my ideas are all wrong but um, I do think that if you do let Roman Reigns you know if you tear down this empire he's built it's got to be for a purpose for him too because he's too good of a performer to just be pushed aside and be an afterthought so I think that if you're going to you've built him up to be this unbeatable monster. You know, and you know he's he's running the show. He's the head of the table, the tribal chief. And you know you want to you've you spent all this time building that up. You want to whoever takes it from him is going to get a big you know rub from that. They're going to get you know that's going to be a big accomplishment for them. But you can't just forget about Roman. So I think in concert with him giving up the belts to two baby faces, probably then you also have to that has to be a catalyst for him to return to the light side so to speak. And I like the idea of him losing both belts and on the second night after Sammy uh, beats him, then I think that the Usos, Solo Sokoa, walk away from him. Paul Heyman 
walks away from him, and he's left all alone. And that's how you rebuild Roman Reigns into, you know, a good guy, the the face of the company. Yeah. So I think that could be how they may be thinking about doing this because uh, he's had such a great run here in these last, you know, several years and so it'd be exciting i'm excited to see what happens next we've talked gone on and on uh about the royal rumble and i know that there's if you're not a wrestling fan you're listening to it this two weeks in a row we've talked quite a bit of wrestling so yeah. <laughs> yep. it's the road to wrestlemania so you're just gonna have to to understand that you know terry and i are two middle-aged men who still like pro wrestling yeah and we've become we've we've made our peace with that fact we're hoping that you can too <laughs> and, indeed uh, at least we're not into like you know, My Little Pony or some stu- stupid stuff like that. Yeah. You know, these bronies that run around. I am not a brony. It could be worse, people. It could be worse. I am not a brony, jabroni. <laughs> Terry, did you have any other raves this week? I had two more raves still. All yeah. right. Yes. Uh, about 16 hours before Ruby... Com- well, not even 16. More like 14 hours before Ruby competed in her spelling bee. I was at the bowling alley, and I got... My fourth 300 game that the night before the B, and I tell you what, I went into that night. I was during practice. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting some strikes, but those they don't feel like I'm gonna be able be consistent with those. And my gosh, it did, they just kept falling, and I just kept throwing the ball in the same spot, and they just kept falling. And this is the first one I've ever gotten on video out of these okay. four, so it was pretty awesome. Got you know the high fives, you know everybody coming over congratulate me and all that and it's cool and like i said i'm just glad it was on video for once so i was like all right i got video proof that i threw a 300 <laughs> awesome that is crazy man four perfect games yeah it's uh it's it doesn't change man you get to that last ball the nerves are still there <laughs> i can't even imagine <laughs> yeah I, I i took my time i remember i looked up and locked eyes with a uh guy on another team like eight lanes down and it's like he just kind of gave me that nod like dead eyed like you got this <laughs> nod i'm like yeah <laughs> all right and uh yeah got up there and hand was a little shaky but as long as i just kept focus on where i was gonna throw it even if it's shaking and i make the motion it's it's gonna go somewhere in that area so it did and it wasn't perfect but they all fell so who cares exactly i have a little that why was there a wobbler at the end? Is that what's happened? Uh, yeah, I hit it a little. What they call high on the head pin. So you got you know you want to hit in between the the front two pins. Well, I hit it a little closer to the head pin. So the uh, three pin bounced off the wall and took out the four or took out the six and the ten pin. And a lot of times when you do that, hit it like that, the four pin stands or the six pin stands. Excuse me. And but no, got lucky. And they all fell. That's outstanding, man. That's amazing. Four 300s. Yep. Indeed. Pretty cool. Yeah, I forgot. I, I did see the picture on Facebook, uh, so that was I was proud of you. Yeah, Ruby's B totally overshadowed that, and <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely okay with that. Although, the fact that you've now bowled th- four 300 games is just another reason why I will never go bowling with you. <laughs> at least because... you, you won't put money on it, at least, I'm sure. No, uh, it'll just be embarrassing. Right. I am a non bowler. Uh, and like I said, I can't put any spin on the ball. I can't get it to move. It's a stri- wherever it starts, 
it's going to finish on a straight line from where I aimed it. There's no movement, nothing. Yep. The ball may spin, but it's going in a straight line. So, Yeah, it definitely uh, a lot of practice back in the day. But I only go once a week, and that's all I want to do. I don't want to go out there more than once a week. There's these guys up there that have had 50, 60, 300s, but they also bowl three, four times a week. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't need bowling that much in my life. Just one night right. to get together with the guys, have a few drinks, throw the ball. And if I do good, cool. If I don't, oh, well, maybe next time. Right. So it had been eight years since the last one. Oh, wow, that's a long stretch. Yeah, it was 2015, and before that, it was 2010. Uh, about not even a year into me and Sarah Dayton, and she was up there, I remember, on her phone pretending like she wasn't paying attention, but the second I hit that last one, boy, she jumped up, and I was really glad she got to see one of them. Is it kind of like in baseball when the pitcher's throwing a, a perfect game or a no-hitter and everybody just stays away from him? Nobody was talking to me about bowling, really, we were, and... Garrett on my team, him and I have an understanding that like keep us distracted with other conversation. Talk about something else. Keep us keep our minds somewhere else. Because if we if we sit there quietly, it's like okay, we're gonna be getting a little more nervous. Right. And yeah, I oh, yeah, oh, it, it is nerve wracking once you get there for sure. Well, that was awesome, man! And congratulations, job yep. well done. Thank you. All right. What's your other rave, Terry? All right. So Sarah and I, the other night, noticed that the movie Violent Night was on Peacock <laughs> with David Harbour from Stranger Things. Going When I first heard about this movie, I was thinking, that is just going to be a stupid movie. It's going to be over-the-top cheesiness, and it's not going to be good. Dude, they whoever wrote this did a fine job. It is an absolutely enjoyable movie, and Totally worth a watch. I think you will like it. It is 100% rated R. But a lot of language, a lot of violence, gory violence. It's I won't go into it too much because I want you to see it. I, I think you'll enjoy okay. it too. R- Crystal won't, but you'll love it. I mean, it's just it's it's just good. Sarah was like, yeah, I would have scrolled right over that one. I wouldn't even give it a time of day. I've like, seen I, it on there. She, she was glad I put it on. She's like, oh, that was actually a pretty good movie. <laughs> So, well, I'll, uh, it'll be on my list. Yeah, it's got uh, him, it's got John Leguizamo and Beverly D'Angelo showing. Oh, really? It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to make sure I try to remember to watch that one. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm done right, with raves. That was a lot of raves tonight, but we had a lot of good stuff going on. Indeed. All right, well, let's move on then, Terry, to our Todd Beamer. Hero of the Week. All right. This week's hero is none other than Hody Childress. Hody Childress. Hody Childress. I got this from uh, the Good News Network. Again, they got lots of good stuff. They report only the good stuff. Uh, That's the name. (laughs) So, upon the occasion of the funeral for one Hody Childress from Geraldine, Alabama, it was revealed that for a decade... This quiet and humble gentleman was a sort of guardian angel for the town's poor and sick. A farmer and a U.S. Air Force veteran, Childress began his covert charity campaign when he visited the local Geraldine drugstore and learned that all too many of the town's 900 residents couldn't afford to pay their prescriptions. 
Life up until that point had been difficult from a health standpoint. Childress lost a son in 1973 and his first wife in 1999, whom he used to carry into the stands for local football games due to her multiple sclerosis. Upon hearing of his neighbor's inability to always afford their medications, or inability to always afford their medications, he handed Brooke Walker, owner of Geraldine Drugs, a $100 bill. He said, here, this $100 is for anyone who can't afford the prescription. Do not tell a soul that the money came from me. Tell them that it's a blessing from God. A month later, Walker saw Childress again walking into her store to hand over another $100 bill with the exact same instructions. Do not tell a soul that the money came from me. Tell them it's a blessing from God. He would return on the first of every month for the same motivation for years. Until in late 2022, because he wasn't able to walk due to a pulmonary disease and other health conditions, he decided he needed to enlist someone for help. He entrusted the task to his daughter, Tanya Nix. Quote, I was shocked. I had no idea that he was helping people at the drugstore, she said. At his funeral on January 5th, 2023, Nix told the story of Childress's decade of giving and how he was able to cover the cost of expensive medications for two Geraldine residents per month. The word got out that they had an angel in their midst and WVTM, a uh, news station reported that the townspeople have agreed to carry on his le- legacy. Quote, there are so many people in Geraldine who have lived longer because of Hody, pharmacist Heather Walker said. She also said, Hody was a true, humble servant who will always be loved. Wow, that's a, another amazing story. Just someone being good. Yeah, just people being generous. Generosity speaks so much. Want no attention from it. Told his daughter not to tell anybody until, I mean, after she he died, he's like, too bad, I'm telling people now. <laughs> That's right. an amazing thing, right. and I'm proud of you. That's awesome. I enjoyed that story. And I like, too, that the townspeople are going to keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, people just need to sometimes be reminded that the uh, humanity within them is stronger than the, you know, the world around them. And... Sometimes we just need somebody to point us in a direction. Like, hey, you know what? That's you know, because sometimes look, we've I don't know if we've ever talked in this terms before. Sometimes saving the world can seem like too big of a deal. It's too big for one person, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, you think about you know, you want to make a difference in the world. I want to change the world for the better, and you you know that that thought is so big and so far out there that you know it's it's almost unattainable. But if you laser focus it down to one thing. Like I can change the world by doing this. That yep. man changed the world by giving a hundred dollars a week to a pharmacy so that other people could pay for their medicine. That changed the world. And if you see what happens then yep. is that those townspeople that are following his footsteps, that are they're following the example that he set, it spreads. Yep. And so the idea of changing the world may seem like too big of a thing, but maybe you can change the life of one person. Absolutely. And either that person carries it on or other people find out and see about it and then they start doing it and now you've got a ripple effect. Of course. And I think that's amazing. Of course. And it's it's just awesome. It's just awesome that someone's out there doing this, you know. And like you said, it, everything starts with one person. I mean, just the first step. And that guy took it and wanted no credit. So, All right. Yeah. I, those small town folks, they look after each other. They look out yeah. after the whole town. So. Well, all right, let's uh let's ride that wave right into the Terry's World Record Report, the Guinness World Record Report. Terry, who is breaking records this week? David Rush. 
Again. David Rush. Again. Again. Oh, our guy. Our guy. This re- redefined Fist of Fury. <laughs> uh, serial Guinness World Record breaker David Rush added to his impressive tally after shattering the world record for, wait for it, most alternating fist bumps in a half minute. Alternating fist bumps. You're talking about like the yes. knuckles? Yes. With people. Yes, with one person. Uh, so he just, both hands, punch, basically going real fast, hitting each hand, punching each hand, fist bumping. And they had cameras lined up and everything. Okay. Uh, a clip of the supersonic salutations uploaded on Sunday is currently blowing up online. The goal of this seemingly sadomasochistic stunt was to break the record for most alternating fist bumps in our 30 seconds, which is apparently a thing. Joey, his partner for the stunt, and I had to punch each other thousands of times to make this happen, he said. We bled, we sweated, we bruised. He quipped, we got rid of the unfair pain when Joey made me take off my brass knuckles. His wedding band. (laughs) (laughs) In the punchy footage, the prolific record setter and his neighbor's son, Joey, can be seen squaring off in preparation for the friendly fisticuffs. A woman does a countdown off-screen, and the two begin punching each other's fists, both hands with jackhammer-like speed and precision. At the the end of this knuckle-mulching exercise, Rush and his assistant had reportedly pounded fists 273 times in 30 seconds, obliterating the... Yes, obliterating the previous record of 174 set by Nafis Iste Taufik Antu and Akibur Rahman Saikat in April. I don't think they're That's, from America. Uh, I don't think they are either. Although that might be racist. <laughs> eh, well, uh. <laughs> it's online. Eh. People listening know. All right, Rush clarified that it, they actually made contact 297 times in 30 seconds. But Guinness had stringent qualifications for what constitutes valid alternating fist bumps, and 24 had to be disqualified. Either way... They have stringent regulations on that, huh? Apparently. Either way, the Idahoan was proud of punching their ticket to the record books, especially given the difficulty of this particular challenge. He said, quote, This one was more technical and challenging than, I re- than the record I previously set for the most fist bumps in one minute with different people, he explained. The main area of technique uh, we had to work with was on Joey's drifting left arm. (laughs) He added... Blame it on Joey. Yep. He added, when moving each hand back and forth five times per second, it's easy to lose control over some aspects and have have form uh, degrade. In a similar feat this past March, Rush set the world record for the people with different fist bumps for one minute with 152 different people in one minute. Yeah. During his lifetime, he's now set over 250 Guinness records, like we've talked about before. Other ones, here's some. World's fastest juggler, world's slowest juggler, most bowling balls juggled, and most consecutive axe juggling catches. (laughs) When it comes to the Guinness's Mount Rushmore, he still trails behind Brooklyn's Ashrita Furman, who set over 700 records since 1979. Wow. However, Rush's record-setting streak is about to more than personal glory. The Gem State resident is currently striving to break a record a week in an effort to promote STEM education and the power of having a growth mindset. Awesome. Our guy at it again. Yeah. I, I, I looked up Guinness Records, and you know what it came up on my 
news feed because I, I, I click I type Guinness Record and I click news on Google, so I only get news articles. And I swear, like the first four pages were all about this thirty-year-old dog who has now broken the record for being the oldest dog ever. I'm like, that's cool and all, I like that, but I don't. I, I, we can't break a dog record. We can't be the oldest dog ever. <laughs> no, no. I think we're, we're unless you know, of course. <laughs> I could identify as a dog, and boom, record everybody broken. Would have to, yeah, record broken. I'm now a 49-year-old dog, and who are you to tell me that my lived truth is invalid? Oh, God. If I say I identify as a dog, you have no choice. You are a bigot <laughs> if you don't agree with me and treat me like a dog and refer to me by my proper pronouns, which are oh, rough God. and bark. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. Jeez. <laughs> All right, let's let's jump ship on that, Terry, before we get out of control. All right. Uh, this week, since I picked the the subject of our retro review, that means that we are privileged enough to have another United States of Rob because two weeks ago we skipped it because we had already talked about several things that were a little bit more weighty, and I didn't want to drag the whole podcast down. So I saved dragging the whole podcast down for this week. And... Uh, <laughs> My United States of Rob is a reaction to recent video of five uniformed police officers beating young Tyree Nichols to death after a traffic stop. Uh, Ridiculous. This video was gut-wrenching. Not only in the fact that you're watching an American citizen lose his life to law enforcement for a still as of unspecified violation. Yeah, that's kind of weird that you can't specify a violation two weeks now since it's happened. Yeah. And it was gut-wrenching in that sense, too. It was was gut-wrenching in that sense that you're watching it like that, but you're also watching the video, and there's just something inside of me that, you know, was averse to the fact that you're, you're watching someone die. You know, he died a couple days later, but that was a murder on TV. Yeah, they were stripping away his humanity as they were doing this right. on top of that. And that's an American citizen. Exactly. Okay? Fully endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights to include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yep. And uh, the fact that the officers... Young Tyree was, is black, but the fact that the officers, the five officers, the five main officers that were involved in this attack, in this murder, were also black, mm-hmm. which changes the narrative from what we've seen before, for example, as with George Floyd. Yep. Now, George Floyd is a is fraught with outside stories revolving around it. Yeah. For one... His cause of death was a fentanyl overdose, according to the coroner's report. So that the the, the beating from the cop didn't help that, but he was going to die anyway. And But this time, and so of course then with George Floyd, because the officers were white, it became a racial issue, issue and everybody listening to this can remember 2020 and what that summer was like uh, with that kind of racial unrest. 
And coming out of that, I was in support of the movements that to hold police accountable because an officer is not a judge or a jury and they have no right to be imposing a punishment as final as the death penalty, yep. which is what happened with George Floyd and is what happened here with Tyree Nichols. And so, but lost that, that argument was way too colored with all of the racial unrest and the racial tensions between black Americans and police forces in many urban communities. Yeah. But now we have an opportunity because of both the victim and the officers were black to remove the racial component from this conversation and talk about what is wrong with the way we police ourselves yeah. in this country. Yeah, because, I mean, they already are stereotyping black folks, and black officers are going to stereotype black folks as well. And that's unfortunate, and it's they got to do better. Because Tyree, was a, he worked at FedEx, right? Yeah. He worked at FedEx. He had a job. He had a he job. not a... Yeah. Not that it should make any difference as to whether or not he was a gangbanger or a upstanding citizen. He still has his American rights, but I understand what you're saying. He was he's not a he wasn't a career criminal. This is a guy who uh and I don't know what he did. Maybe he didn't listen to the cops. Maybe he ran and all that stuff. But those are not death penalty offenses to begin with. Yeah, and the instructions they were yelling at him were uh uh what are you getting? Not making sense because one officer would say one thing and the other officer would say something else. He get on the ground, he's already on the ground. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just, uh, um, and I, I don't, I don't, Conf- I don't want to confusion. Give the five, yeah. I don't want to give the five officers any airtime. They're despicable human beings who I hope spend the rest of their life in jail yep. for first degree murder. Um, I'm glad that they eliminated that Scorpion Strike Force or whatever it was called that was these guys were operating under in this Memphis Police Department. But this, we're talking. I'm not just bringing all this up just to, to rant about it, but also to offer a solution, and that's what the United States of Rob is this week is my idea for how we change this, and it starts with a, a recognition that we have started to view our police in a more militarized manner as the years have gone on. Yeah, um, they are. They use military equipment in many cases, especially in urban centers. They have military gear, military tactics. But they don't have military training, okay? No. These are not, you know, uh, I was talking with this about, you know, my with my dad and another pastor one night after our, our, our uh, conference and this, this topic came up. And I said, I don't venerate police officers the same way other people do. I recognize that they have a tough job, but it is a job, and it's a job they chose. Yep. So this, they've not been conscripted. But the problem we have is that when you have a military mindset about your job, mm-hmm. then you start to view the people you interact with not as U.S. citizens, not as fellow citizens, but as enemy combatants. Yeah. And so, which is obvious in how you see some of these situations play out. Now, that let me before we go any further, let me recognize that probably ninety percent of the police out there have never been involved in anything that closely even resembled this. And it would would never take part in anything like this. But the system exists that we have militarized our police to the extent that uh, it shows. And uh, 
while they may not be willing to beat down an American citizen, I've had interactions with police where they treat you like you're the scum of the earth and their approach to you is all wrong. Yeah. It can be arrogant, haughty, demeaning, condescending, and they're talking to you almost like the we, we've almost this sounds a little dystopian and dark, but it seems like we've almost allowed our police to become an occupying army in our own country. Yeah, I definitely and have experienced that with two different ones in Washington, and those two were notorious for it, apparently, from lots of different people. Uh, I won't say their name on air, but remind me after off the air, and uh, or I'll text you as I'm talking. The uh, the thing that I that I wanted to bring out here is not simply just to rip on the police. Look, it is a hard job. It is a difficult job. It's probably a scary job in lots of places, and but that does not give the excuse to have this happen. I, I gave the example of you know you don't trust an airline. Just if most of their pilots land the planes. Yeah. You're only going to trust an airline if every single one of their pilots lands their plane. Yep. That's the same thing with police. So first of all, we have to recognize that the military, that the police have become militarized before we can uh, combat it. And I think first and foremost would be a, would be a uh, rules of engagement. Yep. Terry, I know you didn't have to be deployed, but you were familiar with how the military uses rules of engagement. Yes, of course. I had, when we were deployed to Haiti back in 1994, um, just to give a really brief history lesson, there was a a, a dictator who had overthrown the democratically elected president of Haiti and had assumed control of the country and its military. And so, obviously, Haiti is way too close to home for something like that to be going on, so we intervened and I was a part of the task force that was sent to Haiti to remove this dictator from power and return power over the country to this democratically elected president. We did a joint operation with the Navy where they brought 10th Mountain Division out of Fort Drum, New York down to Haiti on the USS Eisenhower aircraft carrier as a show of force to help convince the would-be tyrant that uh, there's a bigger kid on the block. And so I remember the day before we were supposed to enter the country, we were giving a rules of engagement that was a wartime rules of engagement. Basically, we rather flippantly referred to it as the kill them all rules of engagement, where basically you are to engage, pursue, attack, and destroy the enemy until they are completely, uh, you know, not destroyed, but until they're completely destroyed or surrender. Yeah. And I'm thinking whoa, this has just gotten as real as it gets. Um, That night, before the night before, uh, Jimmy Carter came down and negotiated an exit for this dictator. And so the very next day, we got a different rules of engagement saying you are not to provoke, attack, or in other way interfere with the local authorities. That's a night and day switch. Yep. From one day we're getting live ammunition issued to us, the full basic combat load, 210 rounds of ammunition, live ammunition, preparing an air assault on just the, on the capital city and the other ports on Haiti. And the next day, all that changes. And guess what? 
Nobody broke the rules of engagement. Yep. You know why? Because you were trained that it doesn't matter what happens. You have your orders. You follow those orders. Yep. Police have a tough job. They're in a, a, a an often hostile environment. They're dealing with people. Police rarely see people on their best day. And But there has to be unbreakable rules like you don't hold a man up while your four friends punch him. That's got to be a rule of engagement. The the you know they took out chokeholds, they take out some of these other things, um, but you know it's it, it, and there was no shots fired in this case. But I don't think that police should be able to shoot first at anybody. No, and I mean if somebody's running, unless they are going to kill or hurt somebody else, there is no reason that you, you need to be catch fired. Him. Yeah, right. Yeah, work out more, and there's a warrant out for his arrest. You know, and we need to search for him. All right, that's one thing. But to hold someone down, unless it was absolutely critical that you do this, there's no reason at all that it needed to be done. I watched this video. There's no situation that this is this is justified in. None. It's four, five guys on one, and all the guys, all the officers were had fifty pounds on this kid. At least it looked like. Ridiculous. Maybe that was the gear they're wearing and everything else, but there was definitely – they were not in any physical danger from this kid in any sense of the word. Now, we have to the, – the police have to stop. This has to be a systemic, from the top down, reimagining of what it means to be a police officer and what the, relation between, the relationship between the police and the citizenry is because right now it does appear as though in mindset – Maybe not in all, obviously not in all officers, and probably maybe not even in most, but in a sizable enough number that it's affecting our lives, the police view those they come in contact with as enemy combatants. And that is not a police force. That's an occupying army mindset. Yep. And it has to change. Um, there has to be strict, and I mean viciously strict enforcement of policies. You are, every time you, one of these things pops up, you hear about, oh well, this officer may have had something in the past that was, you know, a little dicey. That's it. You can't have repeat offenders. There's got to be uh, a strict enforcement of these policies. There's got to be enhanced internal affairs, expanded internal affairs that will investigate whether or not officers have become a problem. And there has to be, and I think this is was one of the things that came out after George Floyd that I agreed with, that I think needs to come into place, and there needs to be local civilian oversight on these on on police activity. Yeah, because you can't have this this you know it going just up to the the chief or the captain because they're still in that system, they're still in that world. You've got to have somebody local from those communities that has the authority to ask the right questions, to demand answers, and to bring to light any kind of these these things that start this swell of things coming. Yeah, somebody cut through the red tape. Exactly. And we've got to change it because, you know, and, and we see these come up and there's certain ones, this one because of the video, because the video is horrific. And it's just, you're watching a young kid get beat to death. Yeah. And... It made me mad as an American and as a veteran because that's an American citizen who is being having his constitutional rights violated by an occupying force. 
And that we can't let that happen anymore. And I'm not down on cops. I support police. Yes. I, I think we I'm not one of those people that says defund the police. I do not agree with defunding the police. No. We need police. There are bad people out there. Yes. But you can't have like I gave you know, you there's there's no room for bad apples in police forces. No. It's like there's no room for bad apples in the cockpit of an airplane. Yep. Or in a surgery room. Exactly. You just can't. If you can't cut it, you can't cut it. Go join the fire department. Yeah, there's got to be checks and balances everywhere in every job, and there should be no exceptions. I agree. Um, so that's my United States of Rob. We have to rethink what we think of police because I do not want an occupying force in this country. Yep. And it doesn't have to be that way. you know. And if you go over into Europe, you look at London, those officers don't even carry guns. Yeah. That patrol the streets, and it's not rampant. Their 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 crime is not as high as ours. No. So, there's got to be something we can do to change it. My theory is you have to retrain every officer in the country to remind them that these are not your enemies. These are this is who you're here to protect. Yeah. Sometimes from themselves, and sometimes from others. But you are here to uh, protect and serve. That's your motto. You all wear the patches. It's time to live by it. Yeah. What I mean, who are they protecting there? Who are they serving? And for what Nobody. reason? Exactly. That there's, it was- no, except for themselves and their own bloodlust and their own violent tendencies, their own arrogance, their own hubris, and their own megalomania. And I hope they all spend every last day of their life in prison for what they did to that kid. I haven't listened to the audio that was first said yet, but I heard it was pretty pretty bad. And it was, and you know what really was disgusting is you can hear them setting up their defense. They're like, oh, he reached for my gun. He reached for my gun. And you could tell that that's not what really happened. They're just making sure they know they're being recorded. And that's another thing, too. They knew they had body cameras. They knew they're being recorded, and they still did this. That means they thought they could act with impunity. And it's disgusting. And yep. I'm not besmirching every other. There's officers you know, all around who do, would never do this, who wouldn't be a part of it. Yeah. But we need to change a system that allowed those five guys to be that way, yeah. and others. Because you know, we never hear about all. You know, we hear about because of the racial tensions in this country. We hear anytime a black officer kills, I'm sorry, anytime a white officer kills a black suspect, it's going to be news because there's there's a groundwork for that kind of tension. Yeah. There's a groundwork for that kind of story. More white people are killed by police officers than any other race in this country. Now we are a higher percentage of the population, and that's you know you want to start you know without getting you know statistics proves that blacks bear a greater burden under that, but there are still more white people killed. We never hear those stories because they're not newsworthy. Dog bites man is not a news story. Yeah. Uh, CNN and Fox but, News only wants the juicy stuff, right? They only want the things that are going to get people riled up and make them watch. But the fact that we're having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of American citizens killed by police every year that's it's got to stop i agree all right well that was my united states of rob alex and we know how much you love these and uh <laughs> huge fan <laughs> let's move on now to our retro review of the week and that i chose as season eight episode six the iron throne which was the series finale of Game of Thrones. Indeed. It aired on aired originally on May 19th, 2019. It feels long ago, longer ago than that, doesn't it? Yeah. That's only 4 years. It feels much longer. 
that has been off the air. But yeah, it aired May 19th, 2019. It was 78 minutes long and was the 73rd episode of the series. Okay. That uh, is the basics of the the stats, basically, for this episode. Terry, where did you watch the series finale? In my living room. Okay. I don't know if you went somewhere. I know we talked last week about the fact that you had come over to my house for a lost party. I was at Zach's Were you? Uh, watching the Game of Thrones finale, if I remember if I remember right. Yeah, I watched uh, it at home. Terry, you're, you're, uh, I guess before we get into the good, bad, and the ugly, let's just fanboy for a little bit about how much we love this show. Uh, right now, I'll tell you, I didn't watch a single episode of this show until season seven was coming to an end. And then I just, for some reason, we picked it up and went. And at first episode, we're like, all right, this is, this is something different. You know, it's not... Not your typical medieval type period piece or something else. And then the more we watched, the more like, holy crap, this show is just unreal. And it has no fear in doing anything. Main character, why not? See you later. And it's like <laughs> yeah. Sean Bean, you're thinking, who's like supposed to lead the cast. He's dead at the end of the first season. That doesn't make any sense. They broke right. all the rules. And they went with this, with that style for for eight straight seasons and we watched all first seven seasons in a binge worthy mode and we were ready for season eight and i tell you what i was so looking forward to season eight after that because i got to see them all right back to back everything was fresh in my mind i was i was all in so i i loved it but then season eight it, it just hit different than all the other seasons wasn't terrible, but it wasn't when exactly the best that they had to offer. We'll we'll talk about that. Uh, my relationship, how I came to Game of Thrones was I, uh, I think I got the first season almost through, not the whole first season. Watched when it first came out. Okay, and uh, but then I didn't have HBO anymore, and so I stopped watching it, and so. It was several. I think it was around season. They were into season four, I think, maybe five. And we got HBO back, and also DVR. And then they started. You had on demand where you could watch it from HBO. And so then I went back, and I remember I got right back into it and finished off season one, and I binged it, like you said, and got caught up, and I was obsessed with game of thrones it was great and yeah such a good show love the show i agree with you there's a it, it, there's definitely a change we can well, let's just do that now since we're, we haven't gotten the series we'll, we'll leave the series finale out of it yet there was a marked change in the last two seasons of this show season seven and more so season eight and i have a theory why and you probably share it and maybe we've even talked about it well i mean the main thing i've read online was that they, the showrunners had talked to George R. R. Martin countless times as they were making this show, and they're hoping that they wouldn't catch up to him yep. by the time it was over and his book writing. And he didn't have the finale written, so he had uh, he gave him kind of an idea, just a very raw, basic idea of how he wanted to end it. Well, apparently, 
just giving the showrunners the reins and the writing team did not match up with the style that George Martin did. But I, uh, I think, and I, I, I even put this in my ugly. I'm sorry to skip ahead, but they didn't wait. And if some things, when they're this great and this amazing, they are unbelievably worth the wait. And I think right. they should have waited. I don't care if it took four years. Everybody signed on to finish the show. Wait, because it it felt like they forced it, and you can tell it. Although to be fair, he still hasn't finished that book. I also noticed that because I was like, okay, well, looking into this episode, I looked. Well, how did he finish it in the books? And I was like, wait a minute, it doesn't look like he's finished this book yet. And nope, we're, still we're four years past. What the hell? Yeah. So, in that point, in that point, respect, you're skirting. Yeah, okay. I'm saying in that respect. I understand why the showrunners couldn't wait. Well, also too, and you, it was obvious to my mind when they passed George R. R. Martin because it definitely changed. The whole pacing of the storytelling changed. Everything felt more rushed. Yep. And it didn't need to be. No. And you know this month this show is printing money. There is, you know, uh it's, it was the most talked about show on television. Mm-hmm. It was a must-see event each and every Sunday night when it came on. Yep. And <clears throat> it was the it had uh, everything. It had it, it had captured the culture. It was in the zeitgeist. It was, you know, crossing over to other forms of media. These people are stars now. It's all the talk is about HBO being the premier streaming service, and much of that is because of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. And so, but once they got past George R.R. Martin, they were in trouble because the guy's a singular talent, Mm -hmm. and it was his, you know, method of storytelling and his deliberateness in the storytelling. I mean, Ari and the Hound spent how many actual physical weeks of watching TV wandering around together? It was over a year. Yeah. And so, uh, and that was part of the journey is because you're seeing these people and it seemed more in real time. You were growing with these characters. Mm-hmm. And instead of now, the seven and season seven, eight, all of a sudden, you know, everybody just happens to be one place in the next show. They're someplace completely different. On the other side of the map. Right. And so it was obviously different, and I think that as talented as the showrunners were on Game of Thrones, they were working with the product of a true artistic genius in George R.R. R. Martin. And his writing style and the way he you know, spun this tale for us, they couldn't match his talent, and they definitely couldn't match his patience. Yeah. And... uh. Maybe they had an agreement with him, and it's, it could have been on him. He sounds like he's a cantankerous man, and uh, and he's like you said, like we said, he still hasn't finished that book, that next book that was due out, and so that kind of colors the series a little bit. But having said all that, yep, I was still loved this show, and I was not as down on how it ended as a lot of other people were. I recognized that there were some stylistic changes. But I didn't hate season eight like a lot of people did. Upon first watch, I didn't care for it because it was a week in between each episode, and it was like okay, That's and true. then they're bouncing all over the place. I still felt that frustration too. Yes, but of like, oh my god, nothing happened. Yes, <laughs> and uh, but on rewatch, and I think I've watched the season eight 
two full times since the initial run. It's like when you stream it right through, it's not as not as painful. Waiting a week and then feeling like it's like, oh my gosh, we just rushed right through this and now we're rushing to this one. If you stream it right through, it's it's a, it's a little more acceptable. I agree. Uh, this is, you know, and, and it it was a masterpiece. And it's going to be hard to bring in a landing that everybody likes. We said that last week in return in regards to Lost as well. Uh, but let's actually get into the finale. And some of the good of actually, like we said at the top of the show, I wanted to try to treat this finale as it stands alone and watching it by itself. And Terry, you said you had the same idea. Exactly. I, I wanted to watch it as one episode. I looked at IMDb, as I always do, and I compared ratings, audience ratings for episodes throughout the whole series. And this series was littered, littered with nines and higher throughout lots of episodes and several eights and a sprinkle in a somewhere in the sevens or here and there, but very few of those. And then you get to the final season and it's still like in the sevens for like the first four episodes, but then you get to the second to last episode and it's like a six and then you get to the final. It's a 4.0 rating out of 10, which is pretty bad and it, people are rating it that low because of how good the other ones won and how they felt this one didn't stand up to those rewatching right. just this episode i mean you have to end it somehow if you're going to end it you got to find a way you got to right. find a way and i it was slow pacing but i felt like it needed to be that slow if, since you already burned your ugly and we're talking about that's my ugly my ugly is this this episode taken by itself is actually a little boring it is it's very slow and it makes it feels yeah it makes sense so if you watch the whole season eight but that needs to be this slow we need to take the time to really focus on these major moments and i get it but at the same time this is the finale you got to have something some more grand what happens here is it felt like an epilogue as opposed to a finale? It felt like the finale was the episode before. That was very well said. And we're said. watching the aftermath. Yes, that's that's well said, exactly. And so I, I put that in my ugly, because that's a, that's a valid uh, critique of this episode, is that it didn't feel like it was an event. It feels like it was after the event. Yeah. And uh, But let's jump into some of the good. Yes. Because I got, I there's got lots of redeeming qualities about this episode. I mean, first and foremost for me, yeah, is Tyrion. Yes, this he carries this episode from the beginning. He carries the show from the beginning. He is that's, that's one, good. Yeah. He's one of my. He's my favorite character. I, I would say one of my. He is my favorite character. The way Peter Dinklage talks, the way he carries himself, he is a, a phenomenal actor and underappreciated, but maybe not underappreciated. But he's he's fantastic. Because you're talking about how he carries the show. I start off my good from when he has his... He, he Well, I guess I can rewind a little bit further. He drops the the hand pin, throws it down the stairs right in front of Daenerys. She has to jail him because yeah. you can't do that to, to the queen. But then his monologue, his talk to John in his cell, that's... To me, right there, Emmy, right there. Give him, give the man his Emmy. He was fantastic I'll, in that scene. I'll back that up a little further for you. 
Him opening the show, walking through the ruined King's Landing. Oh, without words. Without words. He tells you everything you need to know about what just happened. Yeah. And about how he is processing it. And we see that destruction through his eyes. And as, you know, if you turn this season, this 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 episode on, you've never seen any Game of Thrones, I don't think it'd be hard for you to figure out where he stands on it, even though you don't realize just how much of a heartbreak this is for him because of how much he trusted Daenerys. Yeah. So, but go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want to say that I'll, I'll take his performance back to the opening of this episode is we're seeing this aftermath through Tyrion's eyes. Yes. Uh, for me, the best section of the show that that included i mean you might as well throw that in there that's that was great too but like like i said from the stairs where he throws the pin down yeah talks to john with that long talk which was fantastic and then kit harrington as john snow processing all this and then it you see him walking alone towards the castle and he has to pass the dragon drogan and right. Drogon lets him by because he trusts him. And then you you go and, and you see Daenerys walking into the throne room for the first time in this entire show, laying eyes on the prize that she's been ha- after for this entire time. And you feel that emotion going through her like she has done it. She has finally completed her mission. And But then, yeah, that whole sequence with him her and john talking and drogan doing what he does it, that whole sequence right there is the best part of this episode another thing i really liked about especially the first part of this episode is that you see a realistic envision uh imagination of what the aftermath of this conflict aftermath of this conflict was yes because not only do you see the destruction that uh, Drogon Drogon has unleashed, you know, Daenerys has released through Drogon on King's Landing. The physical destruction, destroyed buildings, the rubble everywhere, the bodies everywhere, you know, the the physical toll. But also, you're starting to see what happens underneath this kind of a uh, is the chaos and the tyranny that is filling up this vacuum immediately with yep. Grey Worm executing prisoners in the streets yeah this is a guy who we know is a heroic and noble man and his this is just spreading this chaos and tyranny is spreading and it's a sickness that Daenerys has brought to the the uh king's landing and i really liked how they didn't shy away from it Mm -hmm. they're not letting anybody off the hook and you're seeing what happens when a tyrant takes the throne and it happens immediately here yeah and i love it Tyrion says to her yes i freed my brother but you burned a city right and or it was it burned or destroyed a city i can't remember the words he said but it was the way he delivered it was like oh gosh yes yeah and uh that was yeah. I guess Tyrion. We're, we're kind of interloping these again to, right. to together, but Tyrion is so good, yeah. uh, such a great character, and uh, 
but I like because you're, you're seeing that there's no chance she's going to have the kind of range she imagines that she would because what she has unleashed has consequences. Yep. And Jon Snow knows it. Tyrion Lannister knows it. And come to find out, even Drogon knows it. Yes. Because after uh, Jon talks with her and he doesn't hear what he, you know, any kind of remorse or any kind of uh, anything in her that says that she's realized that what she's done is wrong, then he does take the, the, the next step and he kills her. He, yeah, he gave her the opportunity to do something to, to change to change and he's like after every every single word she said there was she was set in her ways it was you know it, it, she had been consumed by the lust for power i'm the breaker it of chains completely taken her over yeah she thought she was going to liberate the world uh and it's a classic tyrant dictator motif exactly they view themselves as the hero yeah she turned into and the mad queen cer- and she certainly saw herself in a different light than what she really was. And John finally saw it in her. And he did the best thing he could for the Seven Kingdoms, which was to kill her. Yeah. A woman that he had he had fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had sworn himself to. So in essence, John Snow, I guess to bring it back full circle, we first time we meet Jamie Lannister, he's called Kingslayer. Because he had killed the Mad King. Yep. And Jon Snow and it closes out the show by killing the Mad Queen. That's, that, that's a good then, point. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And then, probably my favorite moment of this finale is Drogon, once he realizes and senses that she's dead, comes up and he doesn't kill Jon. Looks like he's he going destroys, to. He looks like he's going to. But he completely melts the Iron Throne. Because he knows it's a poison to crave That's, that kind of power. Right. And, of course, the dragon is smarter than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a, that's a common <clears throat> trope in you know science fiction and fantasy literature anyway, that dragons are wise. And uh, I love that scene. Yep. The way he melts it. And it's you don't, there's no dialogue needed. No. You didn't need anybody to ex, you know, give any expository, ex, you know, any expository speeches on why this is happening. You just knew the pain and anguish in Drogon, and in Jon Snow, and in Drogon realizing what Jon Snow has done, and then probably realizing that he did the right thing. Drogon's like, I've had enough of this crap, and he just melts the throne. Yep. Um, which. Is symbolic because it's not going to stop there from being a ruler, which we find out at the end of this episode anyway. But he made his point. Yeah, this and then flew off. This is definitely the most um, human, I guess, quality that you see in the dragons this, throughout the entire show. Because for the entire series, you just see them as protective pets. Right. And at this point, you're like, okay, he knows what's going on. He senses he's doing he, what he's doing is right. That John is not an enemy. So, and also that he realizes what they were fighting over all along is meaningless, and he takes out his vengeance on that object. Yep, and then flies away, and then flies away. And you know, I, I guess th- there's a brief line 
later uh, to close out the episode where they somebody says they saw him somewhere, but you know he doesn't factor into the story anymore after that point at all. Mm-hmm. Which is fitting because the only reason Daenerys wanted those dragons was to help take the throne. Exactly. And she may have called herself Mother of Dragons, but they were singular in their purpose for her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now I was everybody loved Khaleesi. Um, I was never as big a fan of Khaleesi throughout the the show. Uh, you start off liking her a favorites. lot, but then you see the dark side of her just slowly getting worse throughout the entire run, and it was a slow burn. And that's what was great about Martin's writing was it was it was that slow burn, like you said, it just kept going. Right, and and had they let it simmer a little bit longer, I don't think there was a lot of reaction to her turning bad anyway from people who loved her. And from all those people who named their daughters Khaleesi. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I think because it was such a quick turn, because, you know, she's literally on the dragon, you know, looking down at the city, and then just, it seems like she's just like, that. Ah, that's it, I'm I'm going bad. I'm breaking bad on this one. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't enough, but the signs were there all along. Yeah. Because these are classic, tyrannical Ideas that you are good and the rest of the world is bad. Yep. And so, um, having said that, not caring for her much, the best visual shot of the entire series, I think, happens in this episode. And that is when she is walking out to see her army and the people, and Drogon is in the background behind her and spreads his wings. Oh, yeah. And it's perfectly silhouetted behind her like her spreading her wings and that was one of the best visual images of this entire series i can't imagine it being a very cheap shot either it probably very expensive to blend that in so well <laughs> so yeah that was a beautiful was shot perfect beautiful shot perfect and you're right it was beautiful it should be the cover of the dvd series you know <laughs> so yep. uh but yeah she she uh you know she has and then and then, like I said, you know, with uh, after her, her murder is really the only event of this episode. Yeah. And it's not even the way the episode ends or anything like that. It's just, you know, like I said, I thought this this felt really a lot like an epilogue, and um, that's that takes some points away. But Terry, other good that I haven't mentioned. Okay. Oh, you want me to say more good? No, I'm, I'm asking you. I said, did you have other good that I haven't mentioned? No, th- that was my major good. Uh, I mean, we could talk a little bit about how they name a new ruler. I uh, <laughs> I have in my bad period that Bran is sitting on the Iron Throne. Yeah. Um, really trying to have an open mind going into that scene after seeing this. This is probably the fourth time I've seen that scene. I I li- really listened, and I really paid attention, and I remember going through the whole series and wondering why it was so important to have these moments with Bran throughout the whole thing. And it leads to this moment, and I wasn't thrilled about it. It makes some sense because he's not Bran anymore. He's Bran the Broken. Because he's not the same kid that he was raised to be. And he really is going to... He knows what's going to happen. And he's not going to make any impulsive decisions. He's not going to make 
any, any kind of decisions based on emotion, which is why Tyrion thought he'd be a great one to lead. He his, he knows our past. He knows our future. So, I don't know. Okay. It makes sense. I, I didn't thought- like it. And I, I know right now you're going to say Tyrion should be the guy on, on the throne. That's who I, That's my very next thing. Because is Tyrion should have been the one that sat on the throne. But the thing is, we got to see Tyrion through this whole story from Tyrion, like up close. Everybody else in that council there, they didn't get to see that. We got to see that. So we know that Tyrion would be the best for the job. And we know that uh, he did what he had to do. But they don't know that, and he and Tyrion knows that, and that's why he says, "Not me, definitely not me." Because half of you are gonna hate me for uh, doing this, and the other half are gonna hate me for this. So, yeah, okay. I mean, I, it's that's it is what it that's is. That's why I, the way I thought to explain why Tyrion can't right. be. But yeah, from the viewer's perspective, Tyrion is the obvious choice. Right. Um, I thought Bran was a sign, and maybe they got this from from George Martin. Uh, it felt like a swerve just for the sake of a swerve. Like, oh, nobody's ever going to think that it was going to be Bran, and that's why they did it. And I just don't think there was any kind of until you know it happened. There was no reason or desire even for him to sit on the throne. Yeah. And that, and like you said, it could have been from Martin. It could have just been whatever. But I, thinking about it from the aspect of we always see Bran in all these seasons throughout his whole journey. Yeah. It's like it's got to be for a reason, other than uh, warning or what's going to happen. I, I I think I they knew what they were doing. Do I agree with it? No. Do you agree with it? No. But. It makes sense to me. Okay. Uh, upon rewatching, because at first I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is stupid. Why are they making Bran? Yeah, that's dumb." Right. But yeah, upon re- multiple rewatches, it makes more sense. I'll let it go. Um, another bad that I had written down was, I really, and this is, you know, it's it's true to the characters, but man, it for me, I couldn't get past the, past the fact. Did we still had the Stark family splinter still? Yeah. You've got Bran down in King's Landing. You've got Arya going off on her quest. You've got Sansa named the uh, Queen of the North. And then you've got Jon Snow leaving too. This was a fam at the beginning of this series was about the Stark family. Yeah. And how close they were. Yeah. And to see now that after everything that's happened and they've survived. Yeah. More so than any of the other families. Absolutely. And they're still not going to be together. I get that it's realistic in its its uh in its storytelling aspect, but I just felt bummed yeah. that the Starks weren't going to end up together again. Yeah, I agree. I uh, you you felt like it, when they finally come back and see each other, Arya hadn't seen Sansa since the first season. Right. No, Jon Snow hadn't seen them for however many. It's just so crazy that all these stories are going on the entire time. And it's like they saw each other back in season one, but they haven't seen each other since. And it's just nuts how long of a time goes by before they finally lay eyes on each other again. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, that kind of bummed me out. Um, another bad that I had was uh, this is nitpicky. Okay. And but when Tyrion goes down into the the where it's been caved in in the castle. Okay. And he finds Jamie. Okay. That was a little too easy to find. Well, his hand was sticking out. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, though, Terry. When they were standing there, I knew you were going to say that because it was his gold hand and it was sticking out of the rubble. Well, if you look around Tyrion as he's going to find them, these are very tall piles of rubble. I know. <laughs> it's very convenient that all that rubble fell before they were killed and they fell over with only a few more bricks left to fall. Um, I just didn't buy that it was that easy to find them in that mess. Nitpicky indeed, but yeah, I get Nitpicky. It, it had to progress the story somehow. When it happened, I'm like, oh, come on. He's going to find them that fast. They're just sitting right on top of a pile, basically. That was a big pile. It could have been a small pile brick. and been fine. Okay, but you know, they move. he moves like one two bricks and he can see their f- entire faces and they're still recognizable. Yeah. You know, they haven't been smashed. I just thought, okay, all right. Not, you know, that I, I didn't like that as much. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I have, it is, like I said, it is nitpicky. Terry, what did you I have? I have one more bad. Uh, the white walkers were such a big deal throughout all the seasons. And we just bang out that freaking battle in like episode two or something of season eight. Well, I feel like that should have been saved for either the finale or the episode before, personally. Right. I felt like that was too big of a storyline and too big of a deal, and I wish there would have been more White Walkers right at the end. I loved how Arya was the one that took down the uh, what, the king. What, the Night, Night king. king, thank you. I loved that. That scene was great. I, I liked that. I, uh, I I I I was fine with it, but it's not. I I don't understand. I, I, I here's another situation where I think that they, they're trying to to, to trick us instead of, instead of finishing the story they told. They wanted to swerve and and oh, we're gonna trick you now, and it's not gonna be Jon Snow, the one who was prophesied to to, and it's not gonna be the one we've been building up to take him on this whole time. It's gonna be Arya, and basically, you know, a sucker punch, you know, kind of a thing. She tricks him into, and she's able to kill him. But I didn't hate it, but I'm like, well, what was all this time we spent building John up to be the one who's going to take on the Night King? That's a good point. I mean, What's his whole purpose in life, then? But see, I was fine with either one, because Arya's being built up the entire time as well. And that was another... I did love Arya a lot. Who, and she was a fan favorite, for sure. And yeah. that I was, I was satisfied with how he was killed, but I just really wished it would have been more towards the end, because then I felt like it was filler until we got to the end. Granted, they they burned down the city. <laughs> she burned down the city, right. Cersei, and Jamie going down. I mean, all that had to happen, but it's just, I don't know. I wanted the White Walkers to be at the end. Yeah, I think you could have done the whole, old, uh, you know, we see everything happen. And, you know, the, even as they're, you know, Tyrion is convening that, that last council um, there. And they're going over mundane things, and then you just kind of, as you cut away from that, you just zip up north past the wall, and you just see a bear, a pair of bright blue eyes open, and uh, know that this is not over, and that it's a cycle again, that it's gonna, history's gonna, you know, that that would have been something. Yeah. But uh, again, I, that your 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 complaint there kind of feeds into what we've said all along: is that this this episode 
does not feel like a part of the story. It feels like a a day after type thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's and I just I thought that that hurts it a little bit. Yeah, I only had one uh, fact from this episode, just one. Okay, let's hear it. The last scene of the show is at the exact same location where the very first scene of the show was. Oh, okay, right there in the woods on the other side that. of the wall. That's where the first scene of the episode one was. Oh, that's right. Yes, it was. Yep. All right. Well, Terry, did you have any other bad or anything else to add about this episode? No, I think we covered it pretty good. I feel like we should come back to Game of Thrones again sometime because there's a lot more to talk about still. Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. And I think I just wanted to focus just on, since we're on this uh, on this kick right now, it was a good time to at least break the ice uh, a little bit on Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's there's lots of great episodes. I would love to be able to talk in depth about the Battle of the Bastards, yeah. uh, which is visually one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a TV show. Yeah, um, and so we could spend a lot of time talking about that. We'll we'll come back to Game of Thrones again, I'm sure. Yeah, um, but I, the the finale has been so uh, controversial and so discussed and so you know fretted over there was online petitions that were demanding that hbo completely reshoot the entire season over a million signatures on that petition yes and so uh this is definitely something that was on um people's minds and so i thought this would be a good one to talk about and we'll come back i think it'd be great to go back and look at maybe like the first couple episodes even or or pull out one season and do a whole season synopsis but we'll get to that we'll get around to that someday this is just our first chance, and we've already hit friends twice and office twice, so there's no reason we can't come back to some of these again sometime later on. We decided this week, because we were doing the Game of Thrones series finale, that we would actually come up with our favorite series finales and use that for our Mount Rushmore this week. Yep. So, this week's Mount Rushmore favorite series finales, Terry... I think we share two. No, I got you think we share three? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, I'll go first and uh I'll tell you up front that this one didn't make my list. Didn't make mine either. Okay. So we'll have that in common. Um and I'm just gonna go from one that I think we probably won't share, and that is Seinfeld. I considered it because I did watch it, but I wasn't a Seinfeld fanatic like everybody else was. I I mean, I enjoy the show when I do watch it. I just, I just never got committed like I would other shows. So yeah, I I knew I had a feeling that one might be on there. So uh, there's another another one I think you might have that I, I I don't have. So yeah, Seinfeld. It's a good choice. I loved, I loved the wrap up. I loved the bringing back all the characters from. Uh, the that they'd interacted with throughout the show just to testify how bad of people they are. Yeah, and I just thought that was a great way Boy. to wrap because they were throughout the whole show. They're self centered, you know. They're narcissists and you know self obsessed and uh, pretty uh, uncaring in a lot of their interactions. Very mm-hmm. shallow in lots of times. And I thought it was brilliant to oh. put them on trial for those things. It was a very highly. Uh, promoted episode and it was oh, a yeah. two hour finale something like that i think it was yeah, yeah. and i i remember the the commercial and everything how it, 
just much they promoted this. It was crazy. And it was one of the most tuned-in finales ever. You know, at, at some at different points, NBC offered Jerry Seinfeld ten million dollars an episode. Was it ten million to bring that show back? I thought it was five, but man, ten. I, I'm not surprised. I heard it was ridiculous money. I could be wrong. I, I, I have that in my memory that it was ten million dollars per episode, but I could be wrong about that. But yeah, Seinfeld. I, I loved Seinfeld. I thought Seinfeld was great. Um, I, I still watch it now, like when I'm, I'll set my iPad up and watch it while I'm doing dishes or something. It's something I can have on with the kids around, even though I don't really necessarily want them watching it closely. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, you know, something else I can't have on. So it's it's yeah. kind of a nice compromise. So Terry, what's your first entry on your Mount Rushmore? Well, if we're gonna go with things that were definitely probably not on the other ones, I'm gonna say one I know isn't on yours, and it's a show I don't even know if you've watched yet. That's uh, a show called the good place i have not watched that. i think you would enjoy that show it's four seasons and i think each season's short i if i remember right and it's just an easy show to watch and get sucked into they told that the writers said the writer said hey uh we want to wrap we got this storyline and we got it written out for four seasons and we want to wrap it there and they they were on board for it it was a one of the highest rated shows on TV when it went off the air after four seasons because they didn't want to drag it out because they weren't trying to make money off it. They wanted to put out a good story, something people remember. And I thought it was a great show. I don't want to tell you how it ended. I've heard good things. I don't want to tell you how it ended because it's it's one of those shows where you want to be you want to see how it ends. Okay. Uh, but I have heard good things. Yeah. And so I've just never gotten around to watching You know the it. premise of it? Okay. Yes. All right. So, yeah, she. And regrettably, I think I know the twist, too. I think I've caught one of the twists. I don't know if it's the twist at the end, but I've caught one of the There's twists. multiple twists in this show, so you might be all okay. right. All right. Well, okay. Uh, no, that's a good choice. Like I said, I, I, I haven't watched it, but I have heard a lot of people who really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Make that one you watch sometime. I think Crystal would even enjoy this show, too. It's 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 funny. It's, it's very funny. Okay. And. All right. And yeah, it's just an interesting storyline, something that you haven't seen like this before. I will have I will add that to the list. Written by Michael Schur from The Office, Mose, who wrote a lot oh, of really? stuff for The Office. Okay. Yeah, in fact, I think he's a showrunner even. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, that gives me a vote of confidence at least. Yeah. Solid show, man. All right, well, next up for me, see, this is why I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that I, we only have two because yeah. I know you don't have this next one on yours either. Yeah. Okay. I'm positive, and that is Kenobi. Oh. See, I liked that last episode. I thought that last episode was the only part of that whole show I really enjoyed was the last episode. Yeah, that's why I was pretty sure you weren't going to put it on there, but that that season f- <coughs> series finale of season, well, it was one season. A limited so series. It counts. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it counts uh, because the the scene with Darth Vader where he, 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 he cuts his helmet and you can see Anakin underneath there. That is probably, and I'm not exaggerating, my favorite Star Wars scene out of the entire canon. Yeah, it was. That was a just. It's everything. That was the best fight scene in Star Wars history, in my opinion. It's the best interaction you see. Oh my gosh, you and McGregor is so good. Yeah. Because you see him break. He's like, "I failed you, Anakin. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for all of it. And you see the the darkness rise up and he says, You're not I'm not your failure, Obi Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And it's just chilling. Mm-hmm. And then the light even changes and it's like this as I will destroy you. And the way his voice is cutting back and forth between Anakin and the mechanical voice of Darth Vader, it's perfect. It can't be done any better than that scene. And so and that whole wrapping up Obi-Wan's story arc and positioning both Vader to stop pursuing Obi-Wan based on what the Emperor told him, which explains why, you know, between Kenobi and A New Hope, there's not been any interaction between the two of them. And Obi-Wan setting himself up to be able to help the Resistance as needed. And, you know, it's just uh, the Rebellion as needed. I just thought it was a great wrap-up to... If it had been a movie, would probably be my favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah. It is, as stands, second only to Empire Strikes Back on my list of Star Wars entries. Yeah, the first the, the first five episodes of that just really weren't they were they were good, but yeah, it was that last episode that was awesome. Yeah. So that was my next one, and I didn't think you'd have that one. This is why I said we I thought we'd have two. So Terry, what's next up on yours? Uh, well, I'll. I'll just go ahead and say one I think we might have. Friends, you left it off. Huh? It didn't make my rush work. It didn't make my that rush was, It was fun. It, it was it was a, a culmination of 10 seasons of a show that we love to watch, we love to quote, and I enjoyed it. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. I, I was a little teary-eyed when she got off the plane. Oh, I was too. And I was like, God dang, this is excellent. You know, Chandler and Monica are Finally, parents. That's amazing. Uh, Joey's going on his own thing. Phoebe's married now and moving on. Like it's just, I thought they wrapped it up nicely. The only issue I had with it was the whole Joey Rachel thing to end season nine. <laughs> so they had to quickly yeah. turn it around because they were going right. to end it after season ten. That they needed. They they should have done that uh, Joey and Rachel thing a season earlier. I uh, you're gonna laugh at me when I tell you why it's not on my rush. Okay. Because it legitimately made me sad, <laughs> and I just it's like watching a breakup, yep. and I didn't want I don't like to rewatch it because it reminds me that they're not my friends aren't there anymore, Terry. Yep. And so it's an ending that I don't like. It's like you know I love you know it's <laughs> that's too much that's too far, but it'd be like uh. You know, when something you love is is destroyed, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, you can't get over it. You appreciate everything, you know, what you liked about it. But I don't want to go back and rewatch it getting smashed. And so uh, that's kind of my reason why Friends was it didn't make the cut because it legitimately made me sad. No, well, that's true. But you loved everything before that. Every single thing. Yep. Uh it was an alternate. I do have it as an alternate, but it, it got edged out, and you'll understand why because I think you may know what's at least one of the ones that are on here. I just think it edges it out as far as impact. Um, so next up on mine would be The Office. Yes. All right. We the, do share one. Okay. With the series finale of The Office, I think, because not only did it wrap up the story that we've been following, but it really kind of sets all the people off on their new path like even like like with friends did but i just i i, I appreciate it more because it seemed more hopeful yeah in a sense 
Friends was such an emotional, and then of course you know you do you have them them all six crying in the apartment as they leave Monica's apartment. Yeah, and so you're obviously it's it's a more emotional setting than the office was. The office ends on a wedding. Yeah, and you know um, of Dwight and Angela, and you know and you see the catharsis of the uh, the discussion where you know they they sit in front of the fans and then you also you see. That that way it plays out with the people they've been watching the documentary that's been being filmed, and so it was a little bit more. I just thought it was a little bit more fun as a finale, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Terry, I know you've got thoughts on it. Yeah, I love The Office, man. That that bringing Steve Carell back was just yes. the biggest twist ever because everywhere you read, no, he's not coming back for the finale. He's not coming back because, but they did it quietly. They snuck him in. They got it done, and it was great. I can't believe you came. That's what she said, and yes. <laughs> that was that was one of the best. That's what she says in the show, and it was like for the yes. finale. That's that's excellent. Uh, uh, Jim doing the bestest mensch. The yes, that was great too. Uh, but yeah, Guten Pronk <laughs> got to sh- fire uh, a bazooka, which apparently you can do. I think in another country, but hey, you can fire bazookas. You can do it here if you go to the right range. Is that right? Okay. Uh, you can do it in America for sure. All right. And then, uh, yeah, the Angela Dwight wedding, it wrapped up great. Pam selling the house. And I love how they came back to talking about how in Dwight's family history, they get married in standing in their own graves. Grace. And they did yeah. that again. <laughs> it was awesome. Yes. Yeah. I like too is the fact that they use the Motley Crue song, Angela. Yep, that's absolutely a song Dwight would know. And of course, obviously, he's marrying Angela. So I thought that was awesome. You knew that was coming. You had to be something obvious like that. All right, ah. Terry. Here's where we're gonna find out if we share the same. If we get two, I think we will. And I think. In my opinion, and I'll say it, and just I'll, I'll build up mine, and then you tell me if it's the same as yours. I think it's the greatest series finale in the history of television. You're probably right. It was a pretty amazing one. It's my number one. It's my number one, <laughs> and that's Breaking Bad. It is. Absolutely. What a culmination is, to five yes. seasons of just excellent storytelling. Yes. And I... uh it, it it does not. I was worried that they were going to let because there's a lot that he has to answer for, mm-hmm. Walter White, because of the 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 damage and the havoc that he's wreaked. Yep. And I thought they were going to let him off the hook, yeah, and make him try to become a hero. And he wasn't a hero, and he doesn't die a hero. And he kind of does. He, he has a he has a operatic death in a sense but not a heroic one he saved he still dies with his son yeah but he still he didn't act he repaid he got jesse out of it but he died with his wife hating him his son hating him and his daughter will never know him yep that's not a heroic death no but i tell you what when that first that episode started i was worried because it was a year in the future like oh man 
oh, it's going to be weird. It's going to be a year in the future. I don't like where it's going. And it totally, 110%, Rob, uh, worked. <laughs> oh, don't ever say that again. I did it for you, buddy. I was going to say 100%, but I was like, I'm going to add the 10. <laughs> yeah. It's flawless. It really is. There's not a bad beat in that entire episode. No. And there's no need for an epilogue. It, it, it ended on how it should end. It ended, it ended as it had to end with his with his, he has to pay with his life for what he's Gosh. done. Whether it's by violence or by cancer, he had to pay the ultimate price for what he had done. Otherwise, the show's morality completely just go. We've already he, that show already pushes us to the edge where we're rooting for the guy making crystal meth. Yeah, and it's already pushed us to the edge, and it needed to remind us that Walter White was not a hero. No, uh, I might. One of the best parts of that was Jesse Pinkman driving away, crying, just alive, knowing it's over, finally over, and just right. scream crying his way down the road. And I was like, oh gosh. Powerful scene. Yep. And uh, it's absolutely my favorite series finale. And like I said, I think it's the one, it's the best that's ever been. Um, some of the alternates, real quick, MASH, which I remember watching, but it didn't have an emotional pe- impact on me because I wasn't as emotionally invested same. in the show. It was before my time. Same and same with Cheers. Same with Cheers. I, I was about to say the same thing. Although I do love that last, the way it ends, where he just says, we're closed. Yep. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, yeah, what a way to end that show. That's a perfect closing line, yep. I think. Um, and two that might surprise you that I threw on there just because they may not surprise you, but you might not think I'd have thought. I loved the series finale of WandaVision. Oh, yeah, that was the best episode. Uh, it does wrap up pretty nicely. Uh, and, and and basically is the whole basis for the rest of what we saw from Wanda in the in the MCU with, with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, without that WandaVision was just a vehicle to set up that movie. It almost seems like, yeah, and that and I also didn't go the route of one season and call it a series finale, which technically it is. It's just one one season. I mean, you got to have multiple seasons. You got to have a long tell. Well, it's story. a finale. It's the whole. That's the end of the story. I know, but the end of the movie is the end of a story too. I mean, just a limited series part is what kept me from picking yeah. that. But yeah. What about you? What were your alternates? I mean, really, I didn't have okay. any. I I was hard pressed because I was wa- looking through. I have probably hundreds of different shows that have finished, and I'm thinking to myself, I liked that show, didn't finish it. Liked that show, didn't finish it. And the ones I did finish, I was like, well, I didn't really like the way it ended. Like how I met your mother was a stupid ending. Uh. I didn't watch. I didn't finish Big Bang Theory. I got through like eight or nine seasons. I just never got around to finishing it, even though it was. I got through one episode, and that was a struggle. That show's funnier than you think, because I think it gets better with time. The more that, as we've said with other shows, once you get more right. uh, comfortable with the characters and you know them more, you start. I don't want to like that show. That's a big part of it. Yeah, and it, it was a great show, um, and I would like to go back and finish it, but yeah, I just haven't. Shameless. You've heard kind of dips I, at the end there, so yeah, I, I've heard, but I'm 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 holding out hope that it won't affect me because I just started that show. Yeah, <laughs> so you, like I said, you'll like the a, a good majority of it. Um, 
but yeah, there's a lot of shows that I like that don't a series finale doesn't feel as good. Like we we went through and uh, started like season twelve of CSI or not CSI Criminal Minds. We love that show. It's a great show, and it ended after fifteen seasons. Well, it came back for this new season that's on Paramount Plus, which is R-rated Criminal Minds, which is wild. Uh, okay. But the end of season 15, we're like, eh, that was an okay finale, if that's what they're going to call a finale. Uh, right. I, I wish it would have been better. Um, but, yeah, I don't really have any other ones that I can pull out that definitely are worth mentioning. Maybe sometime we'll get into discussing some of the worst, because the first thing that jumps to mind is Dexter. Yeah, Dexter sucked. I, well, that was another one I, I watched all the way through, and I wasn't pleased with the finale. Oh, the finale was terrible. Yeah. The whole last season was ter- of Dexter was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, that was our... I never got into Sopranos either, so... Yeah, and you already know how it yeah, ends anyway, like, so everybody uh, yeah, does. I how, now I know. I, right. But uh, and then Saint Elsewhere was another one that was kind of a controversial ending because it was a little bit probably before your never time. Never saw a single minute of it. Yeah, and it, the whole the whole it's a what well, it was a hospital drama, and uh, turns out that the whole they end up in the uh, in the finale saying that the whole series was in the mind of an autistic boy. That's so. Weird. Yeah, Roseanne was another yeah. one that it was a stupid finale. Right. Er was yep. Er's finale was fine. But the entire cast was different by the end. Yeah. There's no way that was still I mean, there. Noah Wiley was there, still there, right? I think he came back. He was gone, but then he was like in Africa or something. And then he oh, kind of okay. came back and he was here and there. But the whole cast was completely different. It's like, I, I, I'm not committing to this. Right. Being a great finale. Well, yeah, I think I, I knew we would share too. You're right. Um, which one did you think you thought we were going to share friends? Yeah, of that course. Was one you thought we would share. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, that one just made me sad. It still makes me sad watching it. Yeah. Um, because knowing that it's over. And I I had an emotional connection to that show. I was single at the time. I was, you know, living by myself. <laughs> uh, so I didn't, you know, I didn't have, you know, I was working all the time. So the only thing I did was I'd come home after work and watch friends. Yeah. And so it, they were my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so. When they left, it hurt. Terry, it hurt. And Oprah famously said, when y'all going to get a black friend? <laughs> well, you know, there was one of them that went through two of the guys, so. Yeah. Charlie. Yeah, she ended up on Criminal Minds. Oh, did yeah. she? Okay. And so did uh, Kathy as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Yeah, they're both main stars of Criminal Minds for several of the seasons. Okay. And both in the new reboot on paramount plus all right terry well that should wrap it up for us the only thing we need to know is what are we doing next week for week five of six weeks of small screen you know i thought about doing another drama or a a comedy i know we both uh invested a lot of time into something like that but i end up thinking you know it'd be really fun to do one that we don't like well i wouldn't say don't like but Definitely are not going to be seeking out to watch. And this will take you all the way back to the 70s when it was groovy. And when you have a very filled house. Oh, no, yes. It's finally happening. We are doing a Brady Bunch 
podcast. Okay. And yes. I kind of expected this. And yes, Sarah is going to be on the podcast. You do not have to <laughs> watch any specific episode, but I implore you to go at least watch an episode or two. And it is on Paramount+. Okay. Plus. Uh, Sarah doesn't need to watch any episode. She is an encyclopedia of Brady Punch because it's one of those shows she yes. loves to hate, but she loves it. And she doesn't want you to make fun okay. of it, but at the same time, she loves to hate it at the same time. <laughs> All right. This could be a fun so, one. I love when Sarah's on. Yeah, it, it's going to be more of a, a very lighthearted <laughs> podcast. Not to, okay. not going to talk about everything that makes this show amazing and how it's just a, the best television in the world. We're going we're gonna to have fun with it. All right. Well, I'm going to go outside and hang on the swing set and see if it'll make me taller. <laughs> I'm going to throw a football in the house and hit somebody in the nose. And uh and I'm going to I'm going to come ready for Sarah to answer how a heavy metal band got its name from that show. <laughs> uh well, and make sure you eat your pork chops and applesauce as well. All right. We'll do next week we're going to talk all things Brady Bunch. The TV show, right? We're not going to delve into the movie. We can talk about the movie, but yeah, it's going to okay. be the show, of course. More of a focus because on Because we're doing TV shows right now. That's right. And our, our, right, our Rushmore, by the way, I, I decided that already as well. It is going to be your favorite TV shows that ended before January 1st, 1980. So all shows that ended before then qualify. Okay. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave Mash out there because Mash ended in the eighties. I was like, nope, no, Mash don't count. It has to end before nineteen eighty. All right, sounds good. I like it. All right. Uh, all right. Well, Terry, we want to for Terry and I. We want to thank everybody, all of our listeners, for tuning in with us. We hope. We hope. Man, at the end of these two hours, I can't hardly talk anymore. Yeah. Uh, Long winded. Here we go. Yeah. <clears throat> We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in with us. We really do hope that you enjoy it as much as we do. And uh, for Retro Review with Rob and Terry, I am Rob. And this is Terry. God bless you and good night.